Hello and welcome to the Rare Disease Cell and Gene Therapy Monthly Roundup. Every month, we at Partners for Access bring to you some of the most important news developments in the orphan drug cell and gene therapy world and what they mean to you. Welcome to the show. Today, we are going to talk about possible cost containment measures in Germany, the revision of the European orphan drug legislation, and potential legislative changes in the US under the new Biden administration. My name is Jens Leutloff. I'm a senior consultant at Partners for Access, and I have with me Chloe Shepard, a senior analyst at Partners for Access. Thanks for the introduction, Jens. Let's start with the German story. Well, generally, there are three big cost factors in Germany's statutory health insurance. The first one is the inpatient hospital treatment cost. That's the biggest one, and that's accounting for one third of the spending. And then cost of outpatient treatment, that's treatment by office-based physicians, and drug cost, um, they are equally big. Together, they also make for one third of the healthcare spending. So these are the three big cost factors healthcare politicians look at when they need to save money. Hospitals are chronically underfunded and there's not much potential for savings there at the moment. Office-based physicians are a very well-organized group and very vocal and politicians learned that in the past. So cost containment in this area would face a lot of resistance which leaves drug spending and manufacturers as the main target for cost containment measures. And many payers and institutions are already demanding this, especially for high cost drugs. A recent position paper from AOK, one of the largest sick fund groups in Germany, suggested cost control measures, including to remove the first year of free pricing for drugs launching in the German market. They also suggested increased transparency of drug prices between European countries and that Germany should participate in cross-border joint HTA and also in pricing initiatives. Removing the free pricing in the first year after launch means that after a price has been negotiated, it should take effect retrospectively from launch and the manufacturer should have to pay a rebate to the sick funds. This would have a big impact on some manufacturers, obviously. Another even more radical idea comes from the chairman of the Federal Joint Committee, the GBA, Josef Hecken, who has demanded more price transparency across the entire cost of research and development for new high-cost drugs. He would also like to have transparency, which role tax money played in the development, for example, through research at universities. He thinks the pharmaceutical companies are testing the limits of what is possible in terms of pricing. And in some therapeutic areas, Hacken thinks society is even being blackmailed, for example, when it concerns children and rare diseases. So regarding rare diseases and often drugs, what are payers and politicians thinking about, Chloe? So as you rightly said, Jens, um, one of the other focuses of the cost containment measures, which has been the case in the past, um, is looking at what can be done about orphan drugs. And orphan drugs make up a considerable proportion of drug spending in Germany. And they are often very high cost. 
So it's an area which policymakers and payers see as a concern and they see as a potential area where there's room to control costs. So you previously mentioned the position paper from the AOK and the paper also suggests uh, abolishing completely the orphan drug advantage in the GBA benefit assessment. This advantage is the automatic benefit assessment rating that's provided for orphan drugs, which have an annual sales threshold below 50 million euros. And that's something which would have a huge impact for orphan drugs, where it's extremely difficult for manufacturers to uh, provide sufficiently robust data at the time of launch. So for that reason, it's going to be a really important one to watch. And with all of that in mind, Jens, um, what do you recommend or what do you see happening um, in the future with all of this? So in our view, increased international price transparency is less likely to be implemented as it could arguably be a greater disadvantage for German payers than an advantage. Germany is a reference market for many countries and increased price transparency could therefore result in lower price rebates for German sick funds. Some payers and politicians are even thinking in the opposite direction to reduce transparency and to have confidential undisclosed discounts. Today, net prices are visible in the price list in the lower taxa, um, and German payers hope to achieve higher discounts if those net prices were confidential. What about the development with orphan drugs in Germany? So the removal of the automatic benefit rating for orphan drugs and the proposal to remove free pricing and reimbursement in the first year of launch are potentially realistic options for cost containment. On the one hand, though, this has been discussed in the past uh, and nothing happened really. So you could argue that this would be the case this time around and we don't see any changes. But on the other hand, our P4A payer expert network have really highlighted that there is significant talk on this in Germany at the moment among payers. And this pressure on orphan drugs is also something we're seeing at the European level with the European Commission revising incentives for orphan drugs and looking at the orphan drug legislation. But it will be very interesting to see what cost containment measures will be implemented if they're implemented, and particularly this orphan drug loophole, which will have a huge impact for orphan drug manufacturers. So now I think it would be a good time to move over to our next topic. Um, over to you, Jens. Thank you. The second topic is the European orphan drug legislation. On the European level, the European Commission is currently revising the regulation on orphan medicinal products. And this includes the revision of incentives for orphan drugs. This is part of the broader EU pharmaceutical strategy which is focused on ensuring affordable access to medicines and also to make sure high unmet medical needs are addressed. The European Commission is aiming to have this completed in the next years. Chloe, what exactly is the regulation on orphan medicinal products? So the European orphan and pediatric legislation was introduced about 20 years ago in 2000. And its main goal was to incentivize pharmaceutical companies to develop new medicines for children and people with rare diseases. And today we'll specifically focus on the orphan drug legislation. 
And it's a really important piece of legislation because rare diseases have a particularly high need. They're generally extremely severe and with few treatment options available. And there are small numbers of patients, which means there is a limited commercial incentive sometimes for manufacturers to develop treatments. There's also specific challenges associated with developing orphan drugs for rare conditions. So because of the small patient numbers, it can be difficult to recruit patients for clinical trials. And often it's difficult to use endpoints that are relevant to the patient and that are relevant to the disease, because often the natural history of these diseases is not well understood. So to address these challenges at a regulatory level, uh, in Europe, manufacturers can apply to the European Medicines Agency for orphan drug designation for a particular medicine in a particular indication, and it will qualify if it meets certain criteria related to the severity of the condition and the prevalence of the condition. So the orphan drug legislation outlines benefits or incentives which apply to drugs that have that orphan drug designation. So these are things like fee reductions for regulatory activities, scientific advice from the EMA, and the main one, which is 10-year market exclusivity. So that offers orphan drugs 10 years of protection from market competition from similar medicines in similar indications. So the European Commission is currently revising the regulation on orphan medicinal products because they are concerned about some of the unintended effects of the incentives today. What are these concerns exactly, Chloe? So in part, the revision of the regulation has been driven by increase in healthcare expenditure, particularly on orphan drugs, um, as we've seen some similar concerns in Germany. And the incentives framework is important because it can impact market competition, which can then affect drug prices, which then indirectly impacts um, the sustainability in terms of budget of healthcare systems. And this revision of the legislation that we're talking about is being guided by the outputs from an evaluation of the regulation that the European Commission conducted last year, uh, which assessed its strengths and weaknesses. And overall, they found that um, the regulation has successfully gone some way towards meeting its goal of fostering development and availability of orphan drugs. But they also outlined several limitations of the framework. So could you tell us a bit more about those limitations, Jens? Yes. So these limitations, which the European Commission wants to address, are focused on four key areas. The first one is there's insufficient development of orphan drugs in diseases with the greatest unmet need. 95% of rare diseases still have no treatment options at all. The second area is inequitable access to orphan drugs across Europe. Orphan drugs are often not accessible to patients equally in all EU member states. The third key area is the artificial orphan designation of patient subgroups of more common diseases. This is often called orphanization of diseases. For example, by identifying certain subgroups of common cancers as rare. German payers often like to refer to this as a salami tactic because it's like you're slicing it up into small pieces. And the European Medicines Agency, EMA, also says that while personalized medicine and the use of biomarkers may hold great potential for tailoring of treatments, 
they should not lead to unnecessary multiplication of rare diseases out of common diseases. And the fourth key area which the European Commission is focusing on is that certain procedures within the EMA are inefficient and burdensome and these should be improved. So what are some of the proposals by the European Commission, Chloe? Well, the new legislative proposals are not to be expected fully until early 2022, so early next year. But the European Commission has made some suggestions on how they might look to adjust the regulation. And they've set out four different sets of options as to how they might change the regulation. And I just want to highlight some of the changes proposed because they have both potential negative implications for manufacturers, but also some positive ones as well. Some of these changes, as I say, could have negative implications for manufacturers, such as the variable duration of market exclusivity for orphan drugs or removing the market exclusivity incentive altogether for some drugs which don't address a high unmet need or a high enough unmet need. The European Commission are also proposing that the length of market exclusivity would depend on the type of drug in development. So whether this is an innovative drug, a repurposed product or a drug which has multiple indications. And this links into the big focus throughout a lot of the proposals, which is to allow faster entry of generic and biosimilar competition uh, into the market and encouraging that in order to contain costs, presumably, of orphan drugs. There's also a suggestion from the European Commission to have temporal validity of an orphan designation. That would encourage manufacturers to develop drugs faster but that could actually create another layer of complexity and certainly another consideration for manufacturers for the drug development process. However, as I say, it's not all bad and other changes could present a positive opportunity for manufacturers. So particularly the enhanced regulatory support for orphan products, which are addressing a really high unmet need in a rare disease those would receive priority assessment from the EMA and more scientific support. The European Commission are also suggesting that they might set up an identification system with criteria to assess whether orphan products address a rare disease with a considerable unmet need. And it might be then that those drugs which address the highest unmet needs will benefit from these incentives the most. And certainly it looks like that's the route that the European Commission wants to go down. Another key benefit is that the European Commission are aiming to have better coordination between the scientific communities within the European Medicines Agency and faster assessment of marketing authorisation applications. So those are both good things for manufacturers. So in conclusion, these options are only proposals so far. So often drug manufacturers should monitor future changes of legislation and they should factor this into their product development plans. Manufacturers should also engage early with their stakeholders, including regulators, payers, physicians, and also patient groups, um, because this will be an important tool for them and staying as flexible as possible will give manufacturers the best chance of success. What do you think, Chloe? I would agree, Jens. I think being flexible is, is a key part of this for manufacturers. I think 
they should be looking to assess the opportunity to modify their strategies to mitigate any risks that might be emerging from the new regulations, but also to look at how they could benefit from new incentives. And I think those companies which can adapt to focus their development efforts on drugs which address those really high areas of unmet need, rather than perhaps the larger, um, more competitive food indications, those are the companies that are likely to benefit from these new incentive frameworks. This will all become clearer in due course and P4A will be keeping up to date with the developments. So please do look out for our blog posts on this area if you'd like more information on the topic. Thank you, Chloe. And next, our consultant at Partners for Access, Max Rex, is going to talk about potential changes in the US. Thanks for that, Jens. Now, moving to the US, President Biden has now been in office for over a month, and his initial focus has clearly been on tackling the COVID-19 pandemic, both from a health standpoint and an economic standpoint. Clearly, this will continue to be a major policy focus for the administration in the coming year. However, President Biden did run a campaign on a number of policy proposals that would impact prescription drug pricing in the US, the largest pharmaceutical market in the world. So it's worth looking at how much of a priority will these drug pricing reforms be? What will be the focus for the upcoming year? And will many of these proposals actually be possible? Given the state of the Senate after the November and January elections, it is currently split evenly between Republicans and Democrats. Because of this, the administration has to be very careful about what it chooses to focus on. For instance, any hope from the most progressive Democrats on any sort of Medicare for all is off the table. Drug pricing reform is one of the few policy areas that has general bipartisan support in Congress, as well as support from a majority of the population in the US. Because of this, it's not out of the range of possibility for the administration to gain support from enough Republicans to push certain measures through. However, drug pricing reform has had this support for some time now, and yet very little has changed. The Trump administration made reform for drug pricing a large priority, and yet has very little to show for it in terms of concrete changes. President Biden's first moves on drug pricing reform have been to abandon some of the last gasp executive orders from the previous administration, including one that effectively banned drug makers from providing rebates to pharmacy benefit managers and insurers in Medicare and Medicaid. The aim of this was to make drug companies pass discounts on directly to patients instead of to pharmacy benefit managers and insurers. However, there are doubts about whether this would actually happen or whether it would lead to an increase in premiums. It is likely that President Biden will not focus on some of the more significant changes that he campaigned on and will instead enact more minor policy changes first. These could include continuing with a proposal from the Trump administration that would force insurers to provide increased price transparency on list prices and historical net prices to patients providing patients with more information on the actual costs of treatment to them. Another move from the final stages of the Trump presidency 
was to sign an executive order that would introduce a most favored nation model for Medicare Part B drugs, which would tie the prices of these drugs to the lowest price paid by any OECD country. However, this move was blocked by a court injunction in January of this year. President Biden supported a similar proposal in his campaign. The main difference being that he supported using an average price instead of the lowest price from the comparator countries. Given what has happened with the Trump proposal, it is unlikely that such change will be possible in the near future. And the new administration is not likely to make this a priority. Another area that is currently being considered by Congress, which the new administration could support, is a bill that would establish much lower out-of-pocket spending caps for Medicare beneficiaries than those that currently exist. Importantly, this proposal has bipartisan support from both Democrats in the House and a number of Senate Republicans. Another major Biden campaign proposal was to give Medicare the power to negotiate prices directly with drug makers. It's unclear whether amending the current law which bans this practice could be achieved through an executive order. And additionally, there is significant Republican opposition to this proposal. There are also questions about how effective such a move would be, as increased list prices rather than net prices have driven a large part of the increase in patient out-of-pocket costs. Medicare Part D plans have been fairly successful at keeping net prices low, and Medicare negotiating prices would not impact list prices. Again, such a significant change to the pricing system is an unlikely to be possible at the moment. Given the political challenges facing the new administration, the need to focus its political capital on the response to COVID-19 and various other key policy initiatives, and the long history of drug pricing reform rhetoric not being followed by actions, we think that it is unlikely that many of the more significant changes will take place in the coming year. Many of the proposals would represent a step change in the pricing and reimbursement environment in the US, but are perhaps a step too far at the moment. And that's it for this month. For more news and analysis, go to our website www.partnersforaccess.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next month.